This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, here's the deal. Let's just start right here from the very top. They are lying to you about what really happened to Breonna Taylor. They're lying to you. And they don't care. And most of you won't even notice that that's what they're doing. So obviously this week, that is the big news. There's a lot of big news this week. I keep saying there's big news, right? I'm going to talk about this story. It's big news. This news is big and this is big. And by the time you listen to this podcast, Donald Trump will have nominated his Supreme Court justice pick. There's always big news. But the big news this week was they finally took care of business here in the Breonna Taylor case and they brought down the charges that were forthcoming for some of these officers. So let's back up a little bit to what happened. Okay, so shortly after midnight on Friday, March the 13th of 2020, so that's earlier this year, 26-year-old Brianna Taylor was shot and killed in her apartment by police who were serving a warrant in connection with an ongoing narcotics case. Okay, Brianna Taylor is black, the officers are white, and that's pretty much the whole story for some people, right? But that obviously doesn't describe the entire situation. So let's dive in. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm actually going to read a minute by minute breakdown. I saw that Ben Shapiro did this, but I thought it was incredibly effective because I went and read it for myself. The the Louisville Courier Journal did a minute by minute breakdown and really date by date breakdown of the things that happened in the Breonna Taylor case, because it's not just about what happened after the police officers, you know, bear or knock the door down, right? It, there's a whole lot more that goes before that. So I'm going to go ahead and read from this and don't worry, I'll give this to you in the show notes if this is hard for you to follow, but it starts all the way back on December 30th of last year of 2019. Police execute three search warrants in the Russell neighborhood, seizing several guns and narcotics. Among the six people subsequently arrested is Jamarcus Glover, who is Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, not current boyfriend, not the one that was in the apartment with her whenever this shooting went down. This is her ex-boyfriend. Okay. January 2nd, a few days later. Using a surveillance camera, police see a white Chevrolet Impala pull up in front of a particular address in that area. One of the houses hit with a search warrant uh, from a few days earlier. Glover gets out of the passenger side of the car, which is registered to Breonna Taylor. On January 16th, Glover is seen driving to Breonna Taylor's Springfield Drive apartment and walking inside. After a brief stay, police see Glover leave a message with, quote, a suspected USPS package, unquote, and then drives to a house in West uh, West Muhammad Ali Boulevard, which was also hit with a second search warrant or sorry, with an initial search warrant on December 30th, February 14th, after an officer tows his car from West, uh, Muhammad Ali Boulevard, uh, Glover attempts to file a complaint against the officer. The phone number he gave on the complaint was registered to Taylor. Uh, continuing on here. Sorry, this is March 12th and this is midday on March 12th. Detective Joshua Janes, an officer in the place-based Investigations Unit of the Criminal Interdiction Division requests five no-knock search warrants from Circuit Judge Mary Shaw for an ongoing narcotics investigation. And uh, this just keeps continuing. Now we're getting into some more information on March the 12th. So on 12, at 12.25 p.m., Shaw signs off on the affidavits for the first two warrants for houses at 2424 and 2425 Elliott Avenue. Six minutes later, Shaw signs off on 2426 Elliott Avenue. And then four minutes after that, she approves 2605 West Muhammad Ali Boulevard. All four homes are in the Russell neighborhood. At 12.37 p.m., this is just a few minutes later, Shaw signs off on the search warrant for Breonna Taylor's apartment, which is 10 miles away in South Louisville. Uh, in, a da- in an affidavit for the warrant, Janes wrote the following. 
Glover's car had made frequent trips to Breonna Taylor's Springfield Drive apartment. Glover walked directly into Breonna Taylor's apartment on January 16th. A U.S. Postal uh, inspector verified Glover received packages at Breonna Taylor's apartment, and Breonna Taylor's car had been seen in front of the Elliott Avenue uh, location on different occasions. At approximately 9 p.m. that day, Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, again, this is a different person, this is Kenneth Walker, they got home from dinner, and after uh, hanging out with some other people, it was uh, Breonna Taylor's first night off after a few nights of working consecutive shifts at an ER. They climbed into bed and put on a movie. Around 10 o'clock that evening, just about an hour later, police officers were briefed on the entry plan for Breonna Taylor's apartment. Just before midnight, uh, about 45 minutes before serving the warrant, Mattingly said he drove by Taylor's apartment while another officer, Detective Mike Campbell, had an eye on the house. The only thing Campbell saw while watching Taylor's apartment, Mattingly said, was the light on the TV in the bedroom. Police thought Breonna Taylor would be home alone, he said. Inside the apartment, Taylor had fallen asleep to the movie Freedom Riders, um, and Walker said he had started to doze off. Now, on March 13th, this is, of course, right after midnight, so technically the same evening, at 12.40 a.m., officers were in place outside of Taylor's apartment and began to knock on the door. It's very important. They knocked on the door. After a few knocks, Mattingly said they began to identify themselves as police. The knocking startled uh, Breonna Taylor and Walker out of bed, and they began yelling out, asking who is there. Walker said that they uh, didn't hear anybody in response. After about a minute and hearing no response from inside, police used a battering ram to knock the front door down. Inside, Walker had grabbed his gun as both he and Breonna Taylor pulled on clothes and went to answer the door. They left the bedroom and hadn't made it down the hallway before the door came off the hinges, according to uh, Walker. Um, at 1242 a.m., the neighbors at the St. Anthony Garden uh, Apartments, which is where this uh, was all t- going down, call 911 to report gunshots. Walker says he fires one shot as a warning, which is really not the case because he shot an officer in the leg. He said he aimed at the ground, which didn't happen. Uh, he said he was still unable to see uh, and unclear who was at the door. Mattingly and detectives Miles Cosgrove and Brett Hankison, both of those names will come up here in just a second, they returned fire. At 12.43 a.m., officers on the scene called dispatch to report an officer had been shot. Officials say that uh, this person was shot by Walker. Taylor is struck uh, in the return fire by the police. Brianna Taylor was. At 12.47 a.m., Walker calls 911 and says somebody kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend. At 12.48 a.m., a Breonna Taylor uh, is officially declared dead. Ten miles away on Elliott Avenue, police gave Glover, her ex-boyfriend, the main target of the narcotics investigation, and three of his associates, uh, they got them all in custody. Officers seized drugs, guns, and cash from the Elliott Avenue properties. The fifth warrant on West Muhammad Ali Boulevard, uh, Boulevard was not executed. At 1 a.m., police officers uh, arrest Walker after commanding him to walk backwards as he leaves the apartment. At 1 on 10 a.m., police tell dispatch there's a woman inside the apartment at 1.46 a.m. EMS uh, leave Taylor's apartment complex at 3.35 a.m. Police return with a second search warrant for Taylor's apartment. Inside, they find shell casings and bullets. Police recover no drugs or cash, though they do find mail for Glover, which is Brianna Taylor's ex-boyfriend. And at 3.53 a.m., Sergeant Amanda Seeley and Sergeant Chad Tennell of the Public Integrity Unit interview Walker, who insists he didn't know it was police on the other side of the door. Uh, and this is a quote from Walker. The only reason I even had the gun out was because we didn't know who it was. If we knew who it was, this would have never happened, Walker said. And there's more stuff here, but those are the facts of the case. Okay, so I think it's very important from the very beginning to establish the facts of the case. Again, I know that that's a lot of information. That's why I'm putting this in the show notes for you. You can go back and just rewind this and listen to it again. But that is kind of the date by date and minute by minute breakdown of what happened in this case. Okay, but 
pretty much all spring and all summer, everyone and their dog, you know, at least on the Democrat, Black Lives Matter, leftist side of things, they just said that this was another act of systemic state-sponsored violence uh, and murder against black people, okay? So everyone from Michelle Obama to LeBron James to even the Tampa Bay Rays on opening day, they're like, hey, it's opening day and it's a great day to arrest the cops that murdered Breonna Taylor. And that's the thing is all these people, even members of Congress. So you've got, you know, sitting senators and, you know, the squad and the House of Representatives. These people were all using the word murder to describe what happened in this case. Now, even if you were able to sit there and listen to me, listen or list down the things from the Louisville Courier Journal, does any of that sound like a murder? Because you kind of have to ask yourself that because that is what I, what I described as the facts of the case. But again, to say the word murder, that's a very specific thing that has legal ramifications. But on Wednesday of this week, that's September 23rd of 2020, for those of you listening to this later, a grand jury in Louisville, Kentucky, decided to charge only one of the three officers involved with any crimes. They just they charged Detective Brett Hankison with three counts of wanton endangerment. And they did so because several of his shots that he shot, I think he shot 10 shots, they went into adjoining apartments other than the one that he was in. So they're basically saying that the way that he dispatched uh, you know, bullets from his firearm was, you know, just kind of a little bit wild. That's essentially what they're saying. So they've gotten three counts of wanton endangerment for him. Um, but here is Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron at a news conference where he announces the charges. I think it's important the way that he announces them and also the plea he basically makes with people, people thereafter. But here is Attorney General Daniel Cameron. After hearing the evidence from our team of prosecutors, the grand jury voted to return an indictment against Detective Hankinson for three counts of wanton endangerment for wantonly placing the three individuals in apartment three in danger of serious physical injury or death. While there are six possible homicide charges under Kentucky law, these charges are not applicable to the facts before us because our investigation showed and the grand jury agreed that Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in the return of deadly fire after having been fired upon by Kenneth Walker. Let me state that again. According to Kentucky law, the use of force by Mattingly and Cosgrove was justified to protect themselves. This justification bars us from pursuing criminal charges in Miss Brianna Taylor's death. I understand that Miss Brianna Taylor's death has become a part of a national story and conversation. But we must also remember the facts and the collection of evidence in this case are different than cases elsewhere in the country. Each is unique and cannot be compared. There will be celebrities, influencers, and activists who having never lived in Kentucky will try to tell us how to feel suggesting they understand the facts of this case and that they know our community and the Commonwealth better than we do. But they don't. Let's not give in to their attempts to influence our thinking or capture our emotions. At the end of the day, it is up to us. We live here together. We work here and raise our families here together. I urge those protesting on the streets to remember this. Peaceful protests are your right as an American citizen. Instigating violence and destruction are not. 
Well, there you go. And guys, uh, I just got to tell you, he's an incredibly impressive guy. But for those of you who don't know, he's a black man. That shouldn't matter. But again, there, there kind of goes into, uh, there's a lot of things. He got a lot of criticism from people that would consider themselves on the black left or people that are, you know, Black Lives Matter advocates or people that support those individuals. He was called skin folk, but not kin folk. Uh, he was just really ripped up and down for being complicit in this whole white supremacist uh, system and all these different things. But the thing is, is he said a lot of great things there. You know, let's not listen to these outside voices, people that don't understand Louisville, people that understand understand these people that didn't live in these neighborhoods. You know, let's not let these people dictate things. You know, you can peacefully protest, but it has to be peaceful. But here's the thing. Did any of these people actually listen to A.G. Cameron's words? Of course they didn't. Of course not. Because quote unquote spontaneous riots broke out everywhere specifically in Louisville, but then they broke out all over the country as well. And in Los Angeles, they had people that were like literally blocking other drivers in and trying to pull them out of their cars and uh, presumably beat them to death. Uh, but the funny thing about the reason why I said quote unquote spontaneous rights is because there's this video that's gone viral where there's this U-Haul truck which was rented out by somebody that is uh, kind of like a bail advocate. So that's like somebody who basically gets all these people that have been arrested for protesting out on bail so that they can continue protesting. And by protesting, I mean throwing Molotov cocktails at police officers. But there was this U-Haul that had all these signs in it, these pre-made signs basically saying defund the police and down with white supremacy and Black Lives Matter and all these different things. And you see all these nerds, all these mainly white people going into this U-Haul and they're pulling out these things, they're pulling out riot shields, and then they're going out to Louisville to, you know, fight the man, fight the power and all those things or whatever. But overnight, you know, from Wednesday through Sunday or Thursday morning, rather, uh, there were over a hundred people that were arrested and, uh, there was a lot of destruction in Louisville and across the country, but mainly in Louisville. But here's the other thing is two police officers, two Louisville police officers were shot allegedly by a guy named Lorenzo Johnson, a young guy, but he was literally firing his gun at police officers and he, and he shot two of them. Luckily that they, they didn't sustain life-threatening injuries, but that's essentially what happened immediately, which is exactly what we expect now. This is exactly what we expect. We expect there to be violence. We expect there to be things on fire and we expect it to be mostly peaceful if you're listening to the media. But then everybody else had to weigh in. Of course, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, even though they're hiding mainly in the basement and out of sight at this point, they did kind of, you know, poke their heads above water for a little bit just to let us know that uh, they think that we're all systemically racist. So Joe Biden, Joe Biden said this on Twitter, we must continue to speak Breonna Taylor's name, support her family still in grieving and never give up on ensuring the full promise of America for every American. Obviously the implication there is that not every American gets equal treatment under the law and that this was a racist killing. That's the obvious undertone there. And then you have Kamala Harris saying this tonight. I'm thinking of Breonna Taylor's family who is still grieving the loss of a daughter and sister. We must never stop speaking Breonna Taylor's name as we work to reform our justice system, including overhauling no-knock warrants. So we'll talk about no-knock warrants here in a second. But again, she says, reform our justice system. At which point I would ask her if she was standing here in front of me, what injustice was done? Be because this woman was killed, but murder is a very specific charge. She should know that. She, she was, uh, I believe, the district attorney of the entire state of uh, California or the, or the attorney general, right? Like she was a, a law enforcement officer, right? The most powerful one in the state of California for, for a decent period of time. But again, that doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter, which we'll certainly get more into here in a second. And then, of course, we had athletes weighing in and a lot of NBA athletes, Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler. But then you got LeBron James. He said this. I know we lost a beautiful woman in Brianna. We want justice no matter how long it takes. Again, that word justice. 
you'd have to ask LeBron James, even though I'm not sure he even understands English at this point, is what justice is he talking about? Because what's so interesting to me is he was asked his opinion on um, the two Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies that were shot. You know, that person just walked up and basically shot these two sheriff's deputies in the faces while they were sitting there in their police cruiser. And you know, what's funny is when he was asked about that and asked to give a comment, LeBron James said, no comment. Isn't that interesting? Like this is a guy that's all about justice and fairness and all these different things. But these two non-black police officers were shot in the face by a black person whom they haven't found yet to my knowledge. And he didn't have anything to say, even though that's in the same County that he makes all his millions from right now, uh, playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. But he wasn't the only NBA personality to basically go out there and say ridiculous things. Jalen Rose, right? Retired basketball player, ESPN uh, basketball commentator. He made things really weird. Uh, you know, as they're going to a commercial break during the, uh, I think it was Miami Heat, Boston Celtics game four of the Eastern Conference uh, finals. He had this to say. Jay Rose, Tyler Hero scored in double figures every game this postseason? He's been putting in work for a young fella, but it'd also be a great day to arrest the cop that murdered Breonna Taylor. So yeah, that's the thing that happened. They had to cut to commercial really quick and no one really knew what to say because out of nowhere, when we're supposed to be just watching basketball, I wasn't watching the game if you were wondering, but for those that are actually watching it just to get an escape and watch, you know, people run up and down the court and try to put a ball through a hoop, they had to hear this cry from someone saying that there needs to be justice for the people that quote, murdered Breonna Taylor. Again, murder, a very specific thing that requires a very specific charge. But luckily, there were some voices, some very famous NBA voices that were speaking about the other side of this issue. So we've got Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. Both of them are part of the TNT team. I'm going to let you hear a couple of clips of some things that Charles Barkley said, some short clips, and then I'll read a quote from Shaq after. So here we go with Sir Charles Barkley. Just bad the young lady lost her life. Uh, But... You know, we do have to take into account that her boyfriend did shoot at the cops and shot a cop. So, like I say, even though I'm really sorry she lost her life, I don't think that we can just say we can put this in the same situation with George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey. I just don't believe that. And so the next thing here, we have him talking a little bit further about the people that are saying things like defund the police. So here's Charles Barkley again. To really be careful when we, you know, I hear these fools on TV talking about defund the police and things like that. We need police reform and prison reform and things like that. Because you know who ain't going to defund the cops? White neighborhoods and rich neighborhoods. So that notion they keep saying that, I'm like, wait a minute, we just going to leave, who, who are black people supposed to call? Ghostbusters? When we have crime in our neighborhoods, we need police reform. But like I say, white people, especially rich white people, they're always going to have cops. So we need to stop that defund or abolish the cops crap. And pretty much right after that, Shaquille O'Neal had this to say. Here's a quote from him. I have to agree with Charles. This is one, uh, or this one is sort of lumped in. You have to get a warrant signed, and some states do allow no-knock warrants. And everyone was asking for murder charges. When you talk about murder, you have to show intent. A homicide occurred, and we're sorry a homicide occurred. When you have a warrant signed by the judge, you are doing your job, and I would imagine that you would fire back. Um, And so... The thing is, is knowing what we've known all along about this case, because most of the facts of the case weren't revealed on Wednesday of this week, right? I mean, I'm not sure if there was anything material that we learned on Wednesday of this week, but no one should have been surprised by the announcement and the lack of charges delivered. 
like, frankly, I would have been incredibly surprised if there were murder charges brought against these three detectives or three police officers or two and one detective, whatever, these three people in law enforcement. I would have been very, very surprised to see that. It wouldn't have made a lot of sense to me. And the reason is, is because we've basically been marinating in lies since March, right? And there's been a lot that's happened this year. We've got, you know, Jacob Blake and, and George Floyd and all these other different people. And there's, there's something off with all these situations, right? And, and we'll go into all those and we've gone into a lot of those, but there's so many lies that are being spread. And there are specific lies that are being told by Black Lives Matter and Democrats and leftists and mainstream media people about this case. And it's in order to serve the, serve their narrative, right? So these are lies and or myths about the case that are running rampant, even in my own house. So it's funny is I was preparing this podcast. I don't think my wife knew about it, but she's like, Hey, you know, again, we've got a newborn. She's like, what's going on with this whole Breonna Taylor thing? I just haven't been able to, you know, really look into it. But I mean, they, the police, they shot her while she was asleep in her bed. Right. And again, my wife doesn't pay that close attention to the news, so I couldn't be that mad at her. But again, it's one of those deals that everyone hears the initial story, never the retraction, right? So there's this big front page story on the New York Times about some crazy issue, and then it's proved to be completely false. And then they print the retraction on like the last page, right? And, you know, size eight font at the very, very bottom that no one's going to ever see. But the thing is, is there are people that are staying hands, still saying hands up, don't shoot, right? These morons. I think that Michael Brown was a victim in the case where he was shot and killed, right? People are still saying that all these years later, but guys, here's just a quick rundown of some of the lies we've been told. And in some cases are still being told about the Breonna Taylor case. And here are the ones that I've heard the most often. Number one, police were at the wrong apartment. Number two, police served a no knock warrant. Number three, Breonna Taylor was alone when she died. Number four, Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed when she was shot. Number five, the police officer that was shot was shot by friendly fire. And number six, Breonna Taylor is completely innocent in this case. Okay, so let's break down those one at a time. Number one, police were at the wrong apartment. They weren't at the wrong apartment. They were literally casing the apartment because they knew that was one of the ones that they were going to go into as part of this investigation. So that's a lie. Number two, police served a no-knock warrant. They did not serve a no-knock warrant. They possessed a no-knock warrant. Basically, a judge saw it fit that they not have to knock before entering a place. So again, let's talk about no-knock warrants right here before we move forth further. Obviously, this is to protect police officers. That's what no-knock warrants do. Because guess what? If you're going into a dangerous situation and at the moment before you knock on the door, the, the people inside don't know that you're there, you have the element of surprise on your side. That's why Navy SEALs over in Afghanistan aren't like knocking nicely on the terrorist door before they bust in, right? They're using the element of surprise before they, you know, blow the door or kick the door in or something like that. They're using the element of surprise to their advantage, right? The same thing is true here. Now, I understand, and I think there is something to be said about no-knock warrants because if somebody kicks the door into my house, I'm shooting, right? I'm not waiting to see if I see a badge right? But people are saying that they served a no-knock warrant as if it's the warrant that was somehow the enemy and part of the systemic racist white system, but they didn't serve a no-knock warrant because we have evidence and we have witness testimony saying that there was a knock on the door, that they heard the police knocking and they heard the police say police. They heard them say that. So that is not true. Number three, Breonna Taylor was alone when she died. Obviously she wasn't. She was in the same bed with her boyfriend and they, uh, the shooting went on in a hallway. So no, she was not alone. Number four, Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed when she was shot. Again, I think this is the emotional appeal that again, these, these black, uh, or these white police officers knew that there was a black person alone inside this apartment and they were just going to kick in and shoot them no matter what, because they were white and she was black. That wasn't the case. She was not just peacefully 
peacefully sleeping, having sweet dreams when she was shot. Okay, that's not the case. Number five, the police officer that was shot was shot by friendly fire. No, she was shot, or the police officer was shot. He was shot by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. And the last one, Breonna Taylor is completely innocent in this case. So I've got to be careful here because there's a lot of things that we don't know. But here's the thing is we do have tapes from, from prison, from these prison conversations that suggest that Breonna Taylor was part of this drug dealing operation, or at the very least, she was aware that it was happening because you got to be, just be logical here, right? She basically has a boyfriend that is running a decently, uh, you know, intricate drug operation using her address, using some of her vehicles, using her apartment, and somehow she doesn't know about it. It's possible, but you have to ask yourself, is it plausible? Is it plausible that she had no clue what was going on? But again, we don't know that for sure. So logic tells me that she had to know something, not that her knowing meant that she deserved death. Like I would never say something like that, but to assume that she is completely innocent in this case and that there was no reason for the police officers to even be at her apartment is absurd. They had plenty of evidence to to know that her apartment at the very least was part of this drug operation, even though they didn't find drugs there or money there at that time. Okay. So again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Breonna Taylor is responsible for her death. We we have other examples this summer of people that are responsible for their own death. The latest one, you know, Jacob Blake, he's responsible for his own death because of his actions. I don't think that Breonna Taylor is dead today because of her actions. Not really at all. But to say that she's completely innocent in this case, that she was just, you know, some nurse that worked all these hours and was just completely, uh, you know, innocent of, of all things and, and just pure as a driven snow. I just don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that the evidence points to that. But the thing is, is there's a lot of things to, to think about in this case. And as with any of these cases, there's a lot of things for us to chew on, but there are a lot of things that, that seem clear in the Breonna Taylor case, in the Breonna Taylor case, rather. Breonna Taylor is a victim of a tragedy here, but not a murder. I mean, that's pretty clear because again, it's tragic that she's dead right? Uh, because of the no-knock warrant, I don't think that her boyfriend had any ill will towards these cops or tried to kill these cops. You know, obviously he shot one, but it, he was shooting in the dark. And, you know, I, I give that guy a lot of grace here because I haven't seen any evidence that he had any animus towards these cops or that he was part of the drug smuggling ring or, or any of those things, right? It's a very tragic situation. And, and Brianna Taylor should not be dead today, but she is, but it's not a murder. The next thing that seems pretty clear is that it's fair to criti- criticize no-knock warrants right? There's been a lot of people talking about no-knock warrants, and it's for the same reason that I talked about earlier. I can see the the utility of this for police officers. I can absolutely see the utility. However, I see the danger for police officers and the danger for the citizenry. Because again, if somebody kicks my door down, I'm not going to ask questions first. Like, especially if it's in the middle of the night, if it's right after midnight, and I just got startled awake, I'm grabbing my gun and I'm going to work. Like that, that's just the reality of it. So I think it's fair to have a conversation about no knock warrants, but you shouldn't tie it to some sort of systemic racist problem with the police officers. That doesn't make any sense. Another thing that seems pretty clear is that people clearly don't understand the line between homicide and murder or the difference between the two. So homicide is a description of a person taking the life of another person. So that includes that happening legally and illegally, right? Murder is illegal homicide, right? It's the taking of someone's life illegally. In this case, again, you have to show me where did this, you know, cross the line into murder from homicide into murder. People don't seem to understand the difference. There's a vast difference. Another thing that seems clear is that people don't understand the difference between civil cases and criminal cases. 
Okay, so if you've been following along with this case, earlier this summer, the family of Breonna Taylor won in civil court. They got a settlement from, from the city of Louisville and the police department for around $12 million for a wrongful death right? So that was in the civil side of things. And so some people really ignorantly thought that this would carry over into the criminal side. And somehow, since they won this ruling on the civil side, that there would be criminal liability here as well. But those are not the same thing. You can be guilty civilly and not criminally. Like that's pretty basic stuff, but apparently people don't understand that. Another thing that's pretty clear here is that these riots aren't spontaneous. They're orchestrated because duh. Again, the U-Haul thing is part of that. These people were I mean, the city of Louisville was already declared a state of emergency. I told you guys that earlier this week before they, before they were releasing this, they knew what they were going to be releasing and people were ready. The police was ready. The city was ready. So was black lives matter. So was Antifa. These aren't spontaneous uprisings of, of anger, right? This just over pouring and outpouring of anger. That's not real. That's not what's happening. The next thing that's pretty clear is that we seem to live in a post-truth culture already. There's a lot of people talking about, ah, you know, we're trending towards a post-truth culture where truth doesn't matter. It's all about narrative. Guys, we're there. I mean, this is just another, this isn't another case of a black person being killed by racist white cops. This is another case of someone dying and it not being, or having anything to do with racism or really cops in general. Like it's just another one of those things that the truth of the case doesn't matter to a lot of people. It just doesn't. Another thing that seems perfectly clear is that justice, I'm using air quotes, doesn't actually mean justice to Black Lives Matter and their supporters. It doesn't. Because justice to some people means first degree murder charges every time a black person is killed by a white police officer. That's justice to some people. And justice to some other people means that we should ignore justice and truth for some in order to even the score for others. Right? So in this case, people wanted first degree murder charges for all three of these police officers. And the thing is, is they're telling us that would be justice. But of course they don't mean that. Because let's say they were indicted on charges of first degree murder. Well, then they also need to be convicted because if they're found not guilty, then that's injustice again, right? But let's say they were indicted on first degree murder charges and then they were convicted on first degree murder charges and then they weren't given a life sentence without parole or the death penalty. I'm not even sure if Kentucky's a death penalty state. I would assume that they are. But let's say that they didn't get the death penalty. For a lot of people, that would still be injustice, right? But for a lot of these people, you have to ask them, at what point will you stop rioting? Because, you know, at what point, what charges or what outcome would you want for this to be a score that's been even? But guess what? You don't get justice for Breonna Taylor by providing a tremendous injustice to the three other officers involved. Those are people too. Those people have families too. And if they've done wrong, and if they've done criminal wrong, then absolutely they should go down for that. But we just don't see that here in this case. And the last thing here that is abundantly clear with this case, abundantly clear, is there is no evidence that this homicide has anything whatsoever to do with race. The races of the cops and the race of Breonna Taylor have nothing to do in this case. Nothing. Because again, if you're going to make the statement that this was a racist killing, the burden of proof is on you. You've got to show me the receipts. Provide me the receipts. And you don't have them. And guess what? We still don't have any evidence of that with Jacob Blake or Michael Brown or Richard Brooks or George Floyd or anybody else that you might mention. It has nothing to do with it. Because again, and I said this on the last time, I said this on part four in the Race in America series, guys, Black Lives Matter needs to pick their martyrs better because Jacob Blake is one of their martyrs right now. Yeah, the guy that was fighting cops 
and then walking over to his car, presumably to pick up a knife to fight the cops with. Sorry, he's not a good martyr. Michael Brown, hands up if you want, don't shoot. That wasn't a real thing. He was on his way to hurt the cop that he had already punched and tried to steal his gun when he was shot for his trouble. Richard Brooks was fighting two cops, was turning around trying to tase one when he was shot. George Floyd, again, that's a unique situation. I talked about it a lot in the first three parts of this Race in America series. But again, the new evidence of the fact that he had enough fentanyl in his system to kill a Tyrannosaurus Rex, I think that that's relevant here, especially because of how he died. He said he was having trouble breathing before Derek Chauvin put his knee on his neck. Again, I don't absolve Derek Chauvin of anything, of anything. I don't think he's guilty of murder by by any stretch of the imagination, perhaps manslaughter. But again, he's considered a martyr. And now Breonna Taylor, because again, this is a tragic death, but it's not a racially tinged death, right? That has nothing to do with this case. And in the last episode, I talked about, you know, bring me anyone that looks like Medgar Evers. But then even in the time since I recorded that, I thought about Philando Castile, Right. So for those of you that that maybe recognize the name, let me just kind of remind you, he was pulled over to the side of the road. His girlfriend was in the passenger seat. And during the police stop, he did exactly what you're supposed to do with a police officer. Exactly what you're supposed to do. He said, sir, I've got a firearm on me right now, just to let you know, I'm legally able to carry this. And then go watch the video, guys. The police officer just absolutely freaks out. He thinks that Philando Castile is reaching for his weapon, which we have no evidence to, to believe that that was the case. And he ends up shooting Philando Castile. Uh, he shot him. I think he shot seven times. And five of those times, he actually struck Philando Castile. It was an absolutely tragic situation. And to be honest, when I go back and watch the video, I just watched it again before recording. His girlfriend was unbelievably calm. She was Facebook living what had happened. She basically Facebook lived her, her boyfriend dying. Um, and she was complying or, um, you know, just doing the things that the cop said and said, yeah, sure. Yes, sir. No, sir. And it was amazing. The, the, I don't know the inner tenacity that she had in that moment, just to remain calm, even though she was kind of freaking out inside. But again, he was shot by a Latino guy. And so the reason why we don't hear about Philando Castile, when people mention Jacob Blake and Michael Brown and Richard Brooks and George Floyd, and now Breonna Taylor is because it doesn't fit the narrative guys. Because Philando Castile was shot by a Latino guy, not a white guy. Because it's those dang pesky white guys that keep killing black people, right? That's the narrative. Again, narrative wins out over everything. We know that to be the case now. But here again, guys, as Christians, as Christian men, we 100% should be about justice, real justice. We should be concerned about that. We should be on a search for things like that. But you have to think about this through the worldview that is being perpetrated by most people or propagated by most people in the United States now. And that's a secular worldview, a humanist worldview, in a lot of ways, an atheistic worldview, because those worldviews can't provide real justice or final justice, but the Christian worldview can. And I'm reminded of Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You don't get that with the secular worldview, the humanistic worldview. You don't get that. That's why Marxism fills the gap for a lot of these people. Marxism and then critical race theory and gender theory and all these other different things that are causing a lot of this this craziness that we're seeing right now in society. It's because there's no foundation. And so people are making one up. And when you're looking for justice and you have no God, you have no arbitrator of perfect justice. You have to create justice yourself. And you think that you can. 
That's the other part of it. You think that you can just, you know, say a few things or yell a few things or tear down a few things and all of a sudden we will have perfect justice. But as men of God, we know that that's not the case. We know that that's not how this works. And it is our job, it is our job as disciples of Jesus Christ to make sure that people understand what real justice is and that justice is God's alone. And guys, it starts in your family. So again, for me, whenever my wife said something tonight that was factually inaccurate, it wasn't my time to chastise her. It was my time to inform her, right? And so I did. I gave her the shortened version of this podcast, essentially, and let her know what was going on. And my wife's not the type of person that's now going to take that information and go flame people on Facebook. Like, she's got a whole lot better things to do than worry about that, especially right now. But again, it starts in the home. If James was older and he was experiencing this and people were talking about this at school, this would be one of those things where I would ask him what he thinks about the case and what he thinks the the facts are. And then we would go over those things and talk about it because if we're going to leave, if we're going to live in a culture, you know, I guess Freudian slip there, if we're going to live in a culture that, that values truth, we have to constantly look for it and make sure that we can verify things that are true. And guys, we're not always going to be able to verify perfect truth in a lot of these situations because there's, there's always narrative built into everything, just about everything, but it's the best that we can do to search for truth in most of these cases. So guys, that's my encouragement to you. Again, uh, there's probably going to be another, there's going to be a part six of this at some point. And the thing about it is, is it's likely going to be another thing where we're getting a narrative and we're not actually getting the truth. So please keep searching for it. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing you content like this podcast. It helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, I've got two links for you. One, I've got the link to the Louisville Courier Journal. That is uh, Brianna Taylor shooting a minute by minute timeline of events that led to her death. So that's stuff that I read from the top of the show. And then I've got a YouTube video and this is the uh, attorney general of the state of Kentucky. uh, And he's basically talking about uh, it was the, the stuff that I showed you earlier. So he's talking about, he wants people to be calm, uh, and that there were no officers that were going to be directly charged and kind of his message. I thought it was great. I, I think you should actually see him say that because I think he's a very, very impressive guy. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020, so if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your team, at your men's event, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. The email is info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undaunted life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search undaunted life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Whoa!